Welcome to the Movie Journey Podcast, where we break down every film from the IMDb Top 250 list, giving our own thoughts and reviews and any general discussion along the way. My name is Daniel Henderson, and Dean, before you say anything, just shut up and podcast. And I'm Dean Jeffrey, and I can only dream of my place of residence getting that much action. <laughs> and today we are breaking down Billy Wilder's The Apartment. I don't remember the last time you had a genuine laugh from my little quipendo. <laughs> that was pretty good. I like that. I didn't know where I was going to go. <laughs> oh. So, The Apartment, released in 1960, written and directed by Billy Wilder, about a man who tries to rise in his company by letting his executives use his apartment for trust. By letting his executives rise in more ways than one hendo. Very good, Dean. But complications and a romance of his own ensue. Starring Jack Lemmon and Shirley MacLaine, alongside Fred McMurray, Ray Walston, Jack Crushen, David Lewis, Willard Waterman, David White, Hope Holiday, and Edie Adams. Who does Jack Crushen play? He plays Dr. Dreyfus. Oh, he'd be crushing that performance. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. I know, actually, I don't know if you actually know this, but he did crush that performance because he was nominated for Best Supporting Actor that year. What? Soft year, yeah. Hendo. I mean, honestly, it was when we get to it. So, cinematography by Joseph Lachelle, who has been nominated nine times. He, won, he had his one win for Laura, and he also did the cinematography for another Best Picture winner, Marty. Yeah, I'm just looking through his recent work, and I've got to say, he's kind of a shell of his old self. See, this, this is what you do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, love All it. right, let, let's see how you go for the next one. All right, while I say the facts, you start thinking of the quips. Here we go. Music by Adolf Dutch. Okay, you start thinking about that. Adolf Dutch. I mean, this okay. is too easy for me. Okay. All right, he has five nominations. He has won three times for Annie Get Your Gun, Oklahoma, and one of my wife's favourite films, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Yeah, it's funny you say he's been nominated five times. I'm surprised it's not nine. <laughs> uh, you're on fire tonight. So, Billy Wilder originally thought of the idea for the film after seeing the film Brief Encounter and wondering about the plight of a character unseen in that film. Shirley MacLaine was only given 40 pages of the script because Wilder didn't want her to know how the story would turn out. She actually thought it was because the script wasn't finished. Well, there you go. Do you know Shirley MacLaine from anything? Are you a big Steel Magnolias fan? No, I'm not. But you say that you say the name Shirley MacLaine, and, I, and I, I've got the you know the face there. Yeah, not like, the, not, not, not like the 1960s Shirley MacLaine. I have the you know the now Shirley MacLaine face in my mind. Yeah, like she's very well known. I'm looking through her her films, and like yeah, I've seen films that she's in, like Bewitched, uh, Rumor Has It, uh, Bernie. Like I've seen these films, but yeah, she just she's not. There's no one movie that I'm like, ah, oh, that's what I know her from. She's just around. What about Jack Lemon? What what film of Jack Lemon's have we done a breakdown on? What film of Jack Lemon's have we done yeah. a breakdown on? I mean, it's got to be some like it hot. Very good. Are you looking at his filmography right now? No, of course not. Yeah, him and Tony Curtis just you know mixing it up with Missy you're, Marilyn Monroe. You're so in the 1959 right <laughs> some like it hot. Uh, in that film, he of course played uh, Jerry, who also went by the name of Daphne. 
All off the top of my head there, Hendo. Sure, sure it is. I don't think a single person out there believes that. So speaking of Jack Lemmon, he said he learned much about filmmaking from Billy Wilder, in particular the director's use of hooks, the bits of business that the audience remembers long after they've forgotten other aspects of the movie. And one such hook was the passing of the key to Baxter's apartment. And Lemmon said for years after the pitch is released, people would actually come up to him and say, hey, Jack, can I have the key? Hmm. Nice. Can you name the one... You said that uh, Jack Lemmon learnt a lot from Billy Wilder. Can you name the one smash hit film that Jack Lemmon directed, starring Walter Matthau? I mean, are you trying to throw the obvious grumpy old men at me? No, it's actually Koch. I've never heard of it. That's Koch. Uh, Yeah, I I don't think you're alone there. That's all I got on Koch. I thought you. I, I thought you for sure. You see that you hear the word "koch." You you got a couple of puns waiting. No, no, no. I, I mean, I like to leave some for you, but I, I mean, I just get sick of being disappointed. That's all. Feels like someone's tickling my cooch. You know. I mean, <laughs> that's 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 bo- that's the, the bottom of the rankings for today. But that's that's still pretty good. I mean, it's better than the five minutes of silence we just had to endure while you struggled <laughs> to think of something. I don't, know, I don't know what you're talking about. I had to save that though. <laughs> Jack Lemmon related later in life how Billy Wilder kept his film editor, Dwayne Harrison, on the set with him at all times as associate producer and never made a shot until they both discussed it. And as a result, he was able to shoot sparingly, cutting the film in the camera and eliminating costly setups that might never have been used. Very efficient of Billy Wilder. Yeah, sounds that way. Speaking of which, Billy Wilder and the other writer of this film, IAL Diamond, would allow not even the slightest deviation from the script. Apparently, Shirley MacLaine drove them crazy with her ad-libbing. She was actually forced to do one of the elevator scenes five times because she kept missing one little word out of it. The elevator scene? One of the elevator scenes. I was going to say, yeah. half her scenes, she's in an elevator. <laughs> so according to Shirley MacLaine on her official website... Much of the movie was written as the filming was progressed. The gin rummy game was added because at the time she was learning how to play the game from her friends in the Rat Pack. And likewise, when she started philosophizing about love during a lunch break one day, that was also added to the script. So you got one side of the perspective that says that this whole thing was meticulous and written perfect. And McLean saying that they were actually writing pieces into the movie as we're going along. I mean, who are you going to believe here? I bet Shirley McLean's right. And the writer just wants to take credit for everything. Yeah, I mean, why she got to lie about? Why, why would she want to do that? I don't know, for fame, success. She's probably stardom. famous already. Is she? In 1960? This is on her official website. Do you think she's typing up a blog on in 1960? I mean, is she typing up a blog now? Maybe her assistant's doing it. She's still with us, Shirley MacLaine? Yes. Of course she is. Do you have a, an estimate of how old she is? 70. 86. You're not even close. 70? <laughs> 70 is the new 50, Hendo. That's not even that old. Ah. Oh. Man, I keep forgetting that I always think like it's the 2000s. Like 1960 to now is already 60 years. How can she be 10 in this film? (laughs) Oh, Hendo. All right. This was released on the 15th of June in 1960 with a runtime of 125 minutes with a tagline of, he lent his flat for love. Of his job. He left his flat? He, He lent. Oh, lent his flat for love. Of the job. Okay, it's it's okay. It's not bad. Yeah, I mean, it's like a little little punny there. It's uh, I don't mind it. Is a flat the same as an apartment? I would say so. If there if there's a difference, I could certainly couldn't tell you what it is. All right, budget of three million dollars and worldwide grossed roughly six million. So doubled its budget, which is fine. I mean, it's okay. I mean, it's a you know, it's a critically acclaimed film. You'd you'd probably want it to do more than that, though, wouldn't you? I mean, how much would they have spent on advertising and Oscar campaigning? I mean, 
I mean, I'm sure it's a lot different to now. I don't, I don't know how much advertising and campaigning was going on back then. Was there even any campaigning going on for the Oscars back in the 60s? Or was it just like, hey, your movie's good, we'll, you know, we'll discuss it? I mean, I'm sure it was rampant back then, Hendo. Bribes would be flying <laughs> like there was no tomorrow. So according to Fred McMurray, after the film's release, he was accosted by women in the street who berated him for making a dirty, filthy movie, and one of them once hit him with her purse. Really? Do you know, Fred McMurray plays uh, Sheldrake, for reference. Yeah, I guess I hadn't seen his performance in Double Indemnity then. No, apparently not. Have you seen Double Indemnity? No, nah, I haven't. That's that's on the top 250. We'll, we'll be doing that one day. One day when I'm all alone. Speaking of Fred McMurray, his fan mail was overwhelmingly against his role as the no-good chief executive Sheldrake. People hated seeing the usually amiable, sympathetic actor play such a heel. The response shook him so much, he vowed never to take on another such role. My God, he was in a show called My Three Sons from 1960 to 1972, and he's the main guy on the poster. Yeah, he's like the, like, it's like a family bubbly show. He's like, the, he's like the loving dad in that. Wow. Yeah, so for him to go from that to this character and people just chastise him for it, no wonder he didn't want to go back to that. Re- rep- ruined his uh, nice guy reputation. What do you mean ruined? It started the same year the apartment came out. Get your facts right, Hendo. Look, this is what I heard, all right? Anyway, we said it made a a modest return there. The Oscars is where it really, really shined. It was nominated for 10 Oscars. Sean, whatever. (laughs) What did I say? Shined. Did I? Yes. (laughs) Sean, all right. Nominated for 10 Oscars. That is insane for this film. Five wins. But let's look at the nominations first. It was nominated for Best Actor for Jack Lemmon, which he lost to Burt Lancaster in Elma Gantry. It was nominated for Best Actress for Shirley MacLaine, which he lost to Elizabeth Taylor for Butterfield 8. Nominated for Best Supporting Actor for Jack Crushin, which he lost to Peter Ustinov for Spartacus. It was nominated for Best Cinematography in Black and White, which it lost to Sons and Lovers. And it also lost Best Sound to The Alamo. Hmm. Now, The Alamo is the only other film that was nominated for Best Picture that year that I had even heard of. Oh, really? Bit of a dry year. Yeah. And the other three films, I couldn't even remember the names now. But the wins that this film got was Best Film Editing, Best Art Decoration, Set Decoration in the Black and White category. It's a stretch. It won Best... Yeah, they really focused in on that one. Art decoration in the set decoration in the black and white category. Yeah. And why do you say it's a stretch? Have you seen the other films? No, but this one's not exactly. How good is that apartment? Like, it's not. It's <laughs> It's not. It's not. Why? It's not memorable at all. That design of that apartment is very forgettable. It won Best Original Screenplay as well, which I can agree with. I think the screenplay in this is really good. Did Shirley MacLaine get up and accept the award with... Uh... Whoever wrote it. Well, she's talking about all those additional scenes that she that she put in because of her discussions. Yes, it's not really that hard to see where I was going there, Hendo. I just wanted to clarify. Billy Wilder won Best Director here. He even beat uh, Alfred Hitchcock for Psycho that year. Oh, wow. Mm. Psycho wasn't nominated for Best Picture. Psycho was not nominated for Best Picture. Ugh, what the yeah. hell? And this did win Best Picture that year. And for this film, Billy Wilder became the first person to win the Academy Awards for Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Screenplay all in one year. Hmm. Who was the next person to do it? Uh, maybe, I don't know if Demi wrote Silence of the Lambs. Demi. What about more? Jonathan Demi, you dickhead. What about uh, Milos Foreman for One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest? Did he write? No, that was a, was that an, uh, an adapted screenplay? Yeah, that was adapted yeah. for sure. Yeah. Okay. Mm. I can't remember. Really I can't gets think you thinking it. though, doesn't it? It did for a little bit. What about the scores, Dean? Critics or audience? Uh, critics. Critics have it at 93% and the audience have it at 94 Ah. Close. 
Metacritic, also have it at 94. Jesus. Letterboxd, have it at 4.3. But let's take a look at the history of The Apartment in the IMDb Top 250 list. This debuted onto the list on the 20th of August in 1998 at number 165. It started to peak up pretty high. The highest it ever got to was in mid-2005 at number 73. And since then, it has declined a little bit to where it currently sits at number 118 with an 8.2 over 161,000 votes. Yeah, interesting. Not a bad little run. No, it's doing all right. But let's see what you and I think of The Apartment Dean. Let's get into it. So, have you seen this film before? Yes, I have. I think you got me to watch it a few years ago. Maybe. Uh, This is the second time I'm watching this film as well. Uh, Yeah, maybe I did get you to watch it during that first little run where we just gave each other films all the time. Well, it was one a week, wasn't it? Sometimes two, maybe. Maybe. So we start off with uh, old Bud Baxter. What what do you got? What have you got him down here as? Uh, C C Baxter. Every single time. Nah, it's just Baxter. C C. <laughs> oh, buddy boy. All right. So we find out that he likes he likes facts. He likes figures. He likes to spout off general trivia knowledge. Yeah, he's pretty knowledgeable. He's interested in this stuff. He's interested in numbers. You can tell that, apartment aside, this guy would be very good at his job. Absolutely, he seems very focused as well. Like it's not just not just he's not just number smart. I feel like he he understands the business and the way he needs to operate to move up further. He knows he's not just going to get there based on his skills alone. Yeah, but there's nothing sinister about him. It's not like he's doing this to get a promotion. Oh, like, absolutely They not. do dangle that carrot in front of him a lot, but as we hear later how this all sort of started, it's just because he's too nice to say no. Yeah, it just so happens that you know he's getting a little bit of benefits out of it eventually. Although not as many benefits as some. Not at all. These guys, these executives, man, they take advantage of this guy. <laughs> and their wives, Hendo, and their wives. True, absolutely yeah. true. So this scene here where you have just the sea of all the people working at the desks, to create the effect of this... They actually had an interesting technique where they had full-size actors who sat at the desk at the front, and then they had children dressed in suits using tiny desks towards the back of the shot. And then after that, they had even smaller desks that were cut out figures operated by wires. Gave the effect of a much larger space than they could have actually achieved in a studio. Wow, that's actually really interesting, Hendo. That's, I mean, who thinks of that? It's crazy. Yeah, I, I cannot believe that that's the, the, the full measure they went to to get this shot. I mean... I didn't even consider it. Like I just, I just looked. I'm like, yep, moving on. Yeah. Have you gone back and looked? I did. After I read that, I actually went and had a look at it again. And you can't Does tell it look that like kids are children. <laughs> no, you, no, it doesn't. It just looks like a sea of people there. I love how we get to see a little bit of like of the monotony of this job, where he's he's literally like just bouncing his head to the movements of the of the machine he's at here. Like he just knows it's repetitiveness. He's like, yep, yep, moving along. Like he just this is just a constant thing for him over and over and over. What is this machine he's working on? I don't know, it's some sort of number crunching machine. Yeah, it's weird. Like, it's obviously not a computer and it's obviously not a typewriter. Like, what is this? I don't know. I do not know the business. Yeah. It's a shame. I would have liked to have known that, Hendo. Well, you could have looked it up. You could have done something. I feel somewhat let down by you again, Hendo. That's not a surprise. And you see, he's like, he's he wants to stay late. And you think, oh, this guy, you know, he's a really hard committed worker. He, He wants to do overtime here. No, no, that's not why. Because his apartment's being used. Yeah, I mean, Baxter just gets walked over non-stop in this film. Yeah, like, he's meant to, the guy's meant to be out of his apartment by 8. It's 8.45. He literally just stands outside the front door waiting while, yeah. you know, his middle management boss is getting his jollies off. 
And again, they they're just using and abusing the power here, and he does. He feels like he can't say anything because he he knows how close that promotion is now. So he just doesn't want to, you know, rock the cradle. I guess shake the tree. Speaking of the award-winning screenplay we mentioned earlier, I do actually really like the screenplay here. There's some very sharp lines of dialogue when this guy finally gets out of the apartment and he's walking down the front, and his lady says to him, "Why do all you dames have to live in the Bronx?" You mean you bring other girls up here? Certainly not. I'm a happily married man. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, ah, you sly dog. Gee, the term dame really went out of fashion, didn't it? Quickly. How dame would you know? Maybe it was huge. Broad. For, maybe it was huge for 300 years. You'd have no idea. I don't no think idea. it was. I don't remember them saying dame and broad in the, the 20 silent films. How would you hear them, Hendo? I would have seen it on the on the the screen in the text. Hmm. I mean, Baxter here, he's got to clean up after them as well. It's like he's running a bloody hotel here. Brothel. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, same, same. I mean, it's not a brothel. He's not, the guy's not paying this woman for services. Although it does look like Sheldrake is appearing that way later on. It's how it is uh, perceived. I mean, I guess. We'll get to that. The neighbours. They are, they, <laughs> I, love, I love the- They're um, classic. Re- They're the- so funny. Yeah, the way they think Baxter is, and you obviously got the wife who just thinks he's an absolute scoundrel, and then you got the doctor who every time something's happening, he's like, Mildred, as he runs back into the house. He's at it again. <laughs> nah, it is good. Yeah, the the doc's very impressed with the uh, sometimes twice in one night. <laughs> now, what do you reckon the situation here is with the changing of the sheets, Hendo? I mean, what do you what do you mean? Change the sheets. You know what's been going on on those sheets. No, Why would but you if, to- if they're saying sometimes two in a night, I'm sure the implication is two executives, no? Yeah. Yeah, so is is like Baxter doing a, a midway stop to freshen up the apartment? Or are these executives just passing each other in the hall? I don't think they'd be going right at that exact moment. I mean, I'm sure they drop the key under the, under the carpet or the rug and they go and then, what, 20 minutes later, the next one comes up and takes it. Hmm. Someone's taken it. Mind you, I must say, it's it's quite a miracle that these neighbours have never actually seen the people leave or go into the, the apartment ever, any single time ever. It is a miracle, Hendo, now that I think of it. A true act of God. <laughs> I did like how sad and pathetic Jack Lemon is in everything, let's be honest. But even here, when he's he turns the TV on and he gets so excited with every <laughs> actor that they're mentioning. But first, a word from our sponsor. And he changes the channels and he's going through. He's like, garbage, garbage, garbage. Finally, he goes back to the original one, and they're doing the same actors again. He's like, here we go. I'm finally going to watch this film. And now for a word from our alternate sponsor. <laughs> Buddy ads. Sick of him. This is a funny movie. Let's be honest. It's a oh, funny yeah. movie. There Just- are multiple times throughout this film where I am laughing out loud. But how's the nerve on this uh, dobish guy? Calls him up in the middle of the night with this Marilyn Monroe lookalike who sounded a lot like Jennifer Coolidge. Did you pick up on either of these? No. Okay. For me, I thought she was her own woman, Hendo. Well, apparently this Munro lookalike was in there specifically from Billy Wilder because of the, I guess, the bad times he had while directing Munro in The Seven Year Itch and Some Like It Hot. So he created this Munro lookalike as a, uh, you know, party girl, poor work ethic uh, kind of girl, as a sort of like a, a dig at Munro. I mean, it sounds like this guy has way too much time on his hands. Let it go, mate. Yeah, poor Baxter. Basically, gets kicked out of his apartment. Has to sleep out in the cold. He's he, he's got to say something, doesn't he? Can't do this. I mean, it's hard because when the when Baxter is watching this guy orc Marilyn Monroe up the stairs, 
He says that, uh, you know, his old woman, like his mother, if she wakes up, she'll be out of a job. Like, this guy is not being subtle here. He's threatening Baxter as he walks up here. Yep. Does he, do you think he knows that he's there? Why else would you say a line like that? Yeah, I guess you're right. Like, he must have seen him waiting there. He just, yeah, talking about him but not to him. Yeah. But Paul Baxter, he's got a cold, obviously, for the next day. <laughs> Another great line when he finally gets in this elevator here and he's talking to, uh, shit, what's her name? Miss Kubelik. Fran. Ch- Fran, thank you. When he's talking to Fran, she says to him, Should have stayed in bed this morning. He should have stayed in bed last night. <laughs> <laughs> So we have actually spoken about uh, different ways of using liquid in black and white films for them to come up. And obviously this nasal spray here, uh, you couldn't see it on the camera if it was actually nasal spray. So what do you think they used so it would show up on the screen? Uh, Used condoms. That's it. I'm out. I'm done. (laughs) Did I get it right? No. Milk. Oh, milk. Yeah. Ah, There you go. Harvey would be happy. Harvey milk. Okay. (laughs) All right. That's that's the worst of the the bunch so far tonight. (laughs) Yeah, so far. As long as you said so far, we're fine. Uh, definitely a different time, though. Uh, you know, the boss slapping the elevator girl on the ass. Yep, that's how it was. And she does not react negatively to it at all. Like, this is just part of her day. Yeah, this is just common things that happen. Because, it, it, you know, back in you know the, early, the late 50s here, it's the, it's the man's world. This is like a, like a madman like no, era. It's not like a madman era. It this is, is the madman era. This is madman. And this, this big boss here... He is so Don Draper, it's not funny. The part where he's, I think when he's talking to Baxter, I think he might have his promotion by that point. When he's talking there, I'm like, all I got was Don Draper. I'm like, wow, this is, I just have Mad Men vibes this whole time now. Yeah. And the, and the women here, they just have to cheekily go along with it because if they try and say or do anything at this time, here's the door. Yeah, but we do get Baxter going upstairs now to meet with his big boss. And I, I do like the way this scene plays out where you do you do think the boss is angry with Baxter because this boss actually comes across as smart. Like, nah, no one is this popular. Like, the last guy that was this popular ran an illegal bookie operation. It's like, what's going on? And obviously, he already knows what's going on. Yeah. He's, he's not very coy about it. And Bax is just like, oh, oh shit. Like, he, he thinks he's just, he's done for here. Yeah. And I love how that, that subtle, subtle reveal, like, he just, he wants the apartment key. Yeah. And he, oh, I love Baxter thinking that him and the boss are going to this musical show that night. <laughs> yes. It's like, a, it's like a, a, what is it, a trade. Yeah. Yeah. You skipped over, a, a, I think, a funny scene where- Baxter has to swap everyone out on the nights and he has to literally like fan through his little his booklet there to find the phone numbers for all of them and call them all back while he's trying to nurse this cold as well to try and swap out all these nights. Like that would have been an absolute nightmare back in the day. Yeah, that Rolodex is uh it's pretty annoying. I mean, there's so much that the mobile phone does now that makes life so easy. Yeah, there would be a uh, apartment group chat going on, I reckon. Yeah, but we see Baxter coming out of the meeting with the the tickets and he thinks that the the elevator girl Fran would be a great person to go with, so he starts you know starts putting the old Jack Lemon moves on. He's super creepy though. Oh my god, I have written here like it is very weird, but apparently it's it's endearing. Yeah, I uh, I mean, obviously a sign of the times, but if some guy has looked into your private personnel file and knows everything about you, Starts going on about social security numbers, all that oh, stuff. Yeah. No, that is alarm bells ringing. She's just like happy as, like, ha, huh, you're, you're cute. Did you remember that she was with Sheldrake? I mean, it's so obvious. See, I didn't remember, 
And wow. At, no, 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 no. I like the way she was talking. I'm like, oh, I, f- I feel like this is Sheldrake. And then when I pop, I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah, I thought it was very obvious that. Uh, I mean, there's not a lot of characters here. We need this. <laughs> we need this yeah. plot to get you know a bit more complicated than it is now. And it has to be Sheldrake who's, who ha- who is with her to make it the most complicated it can be. Like he wants his promotion and he's got his boss into his apartment now. Just turns out that it's, you know, the girl he's interested in. So, yeah. you know, which way is he going to go down the line here? Yeah. And, you know, she's, she stands up, old Paul Baxter. Yep. And we see her at this Chinese restaurant with the big boss. What's his name? Sheldrake. I just refer yes. to him as Big Boss. <laughs> That's it. The Big Boss. Not a Bruce Lee movie. What what is that a reference to? A Bruce Lee movie called The Big Boss. Oh, I, I haven't seen it. Oh, it's good. Well, there you go. Good on Baxter though. He does get his promotion, and good on him as well for hold on, basically. Hold on. Before before we go to that, can we just talk about the the relationship that Fran and Sheldrake have here? Okay. I mean, so it's set up that they've been six weeks apart now. Uh, they had two wonderful months together. He's been constantly saying he's going to leave his wife, and I just could not get over how much power this guy had in this relationship. Like, when you're in this relationship here and you know that the other person is, like, madly in love with you and you're not, it's just mean. Like, he yeah. has full control over her. Yeah, and he and just she knows uses it. and abuses her. She knows it. She knows yeah, it. Yeah, I agree. And he just, he can do what he wants. Like, he can just, yeah, like he says, he tells her, yeah, I'm going to divorce my wife. He has no intentions of doing it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, like she's sort of like trying to get away still. Even at this point, she's like, don't forget I have a date. And he's like, don't forget I love you. Let's go. Yeah, he's definitely manipulating the situation as well. And there's points as well where he he obviously makes it out that uh, she's, the, she's the problem and she's the one doing the wrong thing. He always spins it around back because he can do that. He has, he has, he has literally all the power. Plus he's a man. Exactly. Yeah. So what I mentioned, Bud got his promotion and really try, really starting to shut out these other four executives here. And they're asking, oh, let's, how about the apartment? He's like, no, no. I, like, he, he, he knows he's got this promotion now. Like, why does he need to keep doing this? Yeah. <laughs> Starts to favor old Sheldrake because he knows he can probably continue to get more promotions or move up the ladder quicker if he starts focusing on Sheldrake, which is understandable. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Sheldrake is just, he sort of comes in at the end of, uh, you know, Baxter telling these guys to get out. And he's like, oh, I really like the way you handled that. Now that you've got a promotion, you can afford to get a second key though, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and again, it's not ju- it's not just Fran that he's manipulating and taking like using his power on. It's Baxter. He just he throws his power weight around at everyone here. Yeah, he throws his weight around the same way that Fran throws her pocket mirror around. Am I right? Ah, the broken pocket mirror. Yeah, but hearing hearing Sheldrake here talk about you know Fran and women in general, I guess you know is is just like you know you see a girl a couple of times a week just for laughs, and right away they think you're going to divorce your wife. Like wow. This guy sucks. He's the He's worst. He's a piece of shit. He is the worst. So we're at Christmas time. Celebrations are plenty. Yes. Lots of people kissing. Secretary Olsen has been uh, looming in the background every Do you once reckon in a while. Secretary Olsen's first name is Peggy? I mean, it would fit with the times. What are you referencing? Peggy Olsen. Who's that? Elizabeth Moss in Mad Men. Her name is uh-huh. Peggy Olsen. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's too much of a coincidence, Hendo. But was she having a having a dig at Fran? Was she having a dig at Fran, or was she just trying to drunkenly alert her of what uh, Sheldrake no, is all about? She is not trying to do this woman any favors. She is spiteful and hurt. But it's not her fault. She didn't, like like uh, Olsen says this. They they split up ages ago, like years ago. Yeah, I know. It doesn't mean that she's not jealous. Much the same. She was once in her position, and she obviously enjoyed it. 
Yeah, and she does admit that later on when she tells him, you know, I had to watch all, you know, cut all these women back and forth out of the office and I had to sit there and watch it the whole time. And he doesn't give a shit. Mm. But I love this reveal with the uh, the broken mirror. Her and friend and Baxter talking in there in his office and she pulls out the mirror and that just that that drop in his face like, oh, shit. Yeah, this is actually my... Excellent! Dean, we've got to stop doing this. Excellent! Nice. I thought the way you were talking that it wasn't going to be. And I was like, oh, I better jump in here because, uh, yeah, this is definitely my, my favourite scene of the film. I was Jack- definitely uh, setting it up to say it at the end of the conversation like I do sometimes. Yeah, no, nah, Jack Lemmon's performance here is fantastic because this movie, like, it is a comedy, but this moment here really does bring it down to earth for me. I, I, you, you just feel so bad for, for Baxter here because Baxter is such an innocent character. He's such a... Yeah, there's no malice, there's only sincerity and hope with Baxter and yeah. seeing him realize that uh, that this this girl that he idolizes, this girl that he's falling for is just one of these girls that gets trounced around his apartment. Like it's it's really really hurtful for him and yeah, I I was I was moved by this scene, Hendo, moved. And you go back and you think about what Sheldrake has said about this this woman who he didn't know who it was when he was talking to him about her and what he's been saying about her too and how he's been treating her as well. And he knows that she doesn't deserve that as well. Like she she has this idea that, you know, they, these two are going to get together and he has to feel for her in that way too. And I, I think the, the best line of this whole movie is what Fran says about the mirror. The mirror, it's broken. Yes, I know. I like it that way. Makes me look the way I feel. Oh. Jeez, that is a line and a half. Yeah, it's not bad. I do like the cherry on top here where um, Sheldrake calls calls him while Fran's standing there after he's just realised and he's got to speak to him now. It's rough. So what do you do at that point? Well, you go get drunk at a bar. Yeah, you you try and find a woman who likes blowing things apparently. Damn, okay. (laughs) I mean, could she be any easier? No, she, uh, she does the job. He does no job. He shows no interest in her. He just wallows in his own self-pity and she just throws herself at him. You also get the back and forth as well with Sheldrake and Fran at Baxter's apartment, further showing just how much of a big knob this Sheldrake is. The way he treats her, he doesn't care about her at all. Like she's trying to you know, pour out some feelings to him and he's just like, oh, calm down. You've been silly. Just stop it. You Stop talking like this. Like you're talking, you're talking nonsense. Just knock it off. It's like he doesn't care about her at all. No. She, how come she can't see that? Yeah, that I I do have a bit of an issue with that. Like what what we never see the appeal of Sheldrake. Like Fran is such a nice girl, and she's known around the office as someone who will not go on dates with anyone. Yeah. What did she see in this guy? The, the massive turning point for her, obviously, is when, you know, he's like, oh, I, I couldn't think of anything to get you for, sh- you know, for Christmas and I can't be seeing, out seen shopping for you. So here's $100. Go treat yourself. It's like, oh, that is like such a backhand into the and face. It's, it's so much worse because she's giving given him a record from the restaurant that they go to. Yeah. Like she's put thought into a gift for him and which he has immediately said, well, we're going to have to leave this here. Which, fair enough in the situation they're in, but still. And then he's not only given her $100, but he's given her $100 off a wad of many $100 bills. Like, yes. this is this is nothing to him. It's like another, like, you could just equate it to 
all the all the different women he's been going through. Like, yep, this is, is a flick of the note, and you're the next one. Yeah. So Baxter and this woman are having this sort of can't be bothered dance going on here. Is is it dancing? It definitely reminded me of Jack Lemon when he's also dancing as a woman in Some Like It Hot. I mean, when you've got only one move, I guess. But, you know, he brings her back to his apartment. He's finally uh, going to book in some time at his own place. Yeah. Might as well go to mine. Everybody else does. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, if you didn't see the quick little shot of Fran looking at the sleeping pills, you know, this will certainly tell the tale. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, Baxter's not very nice to her here. He sees well, her he sleeping. Does, he doesn't he's know like, what she's out. done. <laughs> I used to like you. Like, he's really yeah. mean to her. <laughs> yeah, he's super frustrated with what she's been doing. And, of course, he doesn't know what she's actually done here. He just thinks that she's asleep. So, he's standing there yelling at her, like, get out of my apartment. He's got his he's got his new woman there. And there you find out that she's basically OD'd on sleeping pills here. And he's uh, quick to action, kicking this girl out who's just an absolute pain to get out of his house. Yeah. Does she threaten to tell her husband on him? <laughs> yeah. She said, no, she said something like her husband's in jail. Yeah. Yeah. But, luckily, he's, his neighbor is a doctor. That's very convenient to... Have someone there who can fix this situation as much as quick as possible. Yeah, kudos to this doctor. He is, he is, he's bloody rough with her. Not rough enough, apparently, because apparently there were doctors who were actually present on the set to advise how accurate it was to revive her. And the harsh slaps that the doctor performs uh, to keep Fran from becoming unconscious, they were all real. However, after the scene, the doctors told Billy Wilder that he actually should have slapped her harder. So while Wilder refused to shoot it again, though, after looking at McLean's red cheeks, he thought, yeah, okay, she's been slapped enough. What a generous guy. So not hard enough, apparently. So if, if, if that situation ever arose, they would be slapping much harder. Mm, some like it rough, Hendo. That's number one. <laughs> what was wrong with that? Or do you mean no, no, that's the best? number one. Oh, you like that one? Yeah, that was good. Okay. <laughs> and I know we've, we've already seen how much of an absolute dick this Sheldrake is. The phone call to him on Christmas morning where where Baxter is so caring. And it's not just about Fran as well, but it's also about Sheldrake and how he just wants to keep this contained. He's like, no, no, like... I mean, I'll- of course he does. What was Baxter thinking calling a married man on Christmas morning to talk to him about his drugged up mistress? Like, Baxter, you're better than that. He really thinks that Sheldrake genuinely cares about her. Mostly Baxter, because, Baxter because he cares about her too. Yeah, and Baxter genuinely cares about Sheldrake. Like, he really tries to look after Sheldrake. He defends Sheldrake to Fran, even though, you know, he likes Fran. Yeah. He's very loyal, Baxter. Sheldrake just does not care. Yeah, like I said earlier, I, I love how the, uh, the neighbor's wife here really does not take a liking to Baxter here just because of all the shenanigans that have gone through this apartment. He, she just thinks he's uh, he's not worthy for Fran. No, and understandably so from the information that she has. But the way she's speaking to Fran about the stuff that happens at this house, you feel like Fran starts to appreciate Baxter a lot more for what he is actually doing. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, he, he's 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 basically letting his bosses do this. And, he, you know, he's being somewhat forced into it. But the way he's treating her as well, like, he's not... He's not throwing the blame on Sheldrake. He's taking all the punches here. Like when he never admits that he, like what is happening in his apartment because he doesn't want to make it sound much more awful for everyone involved. Yeah. I mean, he's got, he does have selfish motives as well, though. 
I mean, he's taking care of Fran because it's the right thing to do, but also hmm. he has a thing for Fran and he's not telling anyone about what's going on because A, it would make him look bad and also it could jeopardise his job and potential promotions. But it also makes him look bad, especially to the neighbour where... I just said that. But the, <laughs> it also makes him look bad to the doctor when he's not admitting that he was the one who didn't do this. This isn't because of him. This is because of some other bloke. He's not even admitting to that. Yeah. Because he's covering for Sheldrake. He looks lo- after him. He's very loyal. I love that the suicide note that we thought it was was just the $100 bill back. thought that was good. Sure. I would have kept it. <laughs> Apparently, that's uh, uh, inflation-wise, it's about 800 bucks now. Yeah, not a bad rate. I must say, with them playing gin here and their discussion, this almost became my excellent. I thought this was great. The emotion pouring out of Fran right now about her story, what she's gone through, her troubles with the men. I love how she says she's a great typer, but she can't spell. Yeah. I think the whole situation here for her is very sad. And I love how you got Bud, who's really trying to cover this whole situation by just continuing to play Jin. Like, yeah, let's keep moving on. But you can see the sadness in his face. Like, there is a point where he nearly breaks as well, but he's really trying to push past this. And like, come on, let's let's not talk about the sad times. Let's, let's, let's have a bit of fun. Let's play some Jin. Let's get out of this moment. Like, I think it's a really solid scene between the both of them here. Okay. Nice. Nice. But we've got one of the other executives coming for some fun here. On Christmas Day, Hendo. I mean, these guys have no moral standards whatsoever. No shame. I love, I love that he's really upset, but then when he sees that it's not only a girl in the apartment, but that it's Fran, he's like, ah, you should have said something, you sly dog. He even oh, tries to I throw the idea of a little foursome there. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was the 60s. Don't they say the swinging 60s, Hendo? I mean, it's just hit the 60s. we got to start somewhere. <laughs> Let's start in 1959. Kind of a backhander compliment that Fran says to Baxter here. Why can't I fall in love with someone as nice as you? I mean, is that just not the worst? Yeah. Like, don't say that shit, ladies. Seriously. But, you know, Miss Olsen, if she's going to go out and start talking smack around at the office party, it's going to get to Sheldrake pretty quickly. And after the incident that he's just happened, uh, yeah, she's not long for this uh, business. No. Uh, I do like her reaction, though, to being fired. Like... She immediately gets on the phone. She wants to talk to, you know, Shell Drake's wife. It's it's good. Like, why not? What does she have to lose? Yeah, and it, this is a, a massive misstep on Shell Drake's behalf. Like, is it just because he thinks he has all the power and they're not going to do anything? He, he's been able to manipulate these women for so many years that he just doesn't even think that she's going to go do something like this. Yeah. And Baxter does call back Shell Drake to see if he wants to have a chat with Fran. He doesn't really seem interested in the idea. But even when he finally gets on the phone to her, he he, he tells really her gu- off. He guilts her into thinking that oh the whole thing's your fault. It's it's got I nothing to, to be do with angry me. with you. <laughs> yeah, like what? This guy is just reprehensible. Yeah, he's shocking. Oh, we got the scene here, which we're gonna see come back later, where the woman tells Baxter as he's walking up to his apartment that there's a gas smell. Yeah. So he races in, thinking that she's you know put her head in the oven or whatever. And uh, no, she's just cooking, yeah. struggling yeah. but trying. Yes. And I think here's where you get a lot of goofiness from Baxter and a, and a bit of a, a love, a bit more of a lovable side to him when he's talking about how he uses the tennis racket for, as a strainer for his spaghetti and you know the conversation here where he you know he's a good cook and he's a you know, decent entertainer and that and the way he, Jack Lemon's performance like his little comedic performance here I think it really plays well in this scene especially. What'd you make of the uh, story that Baxter tells about how he tried to kill himself? That was dark. I'd forgotten about this bit. I mean, this really plays to the end of the film as well. Like, if this story isn't here, then the end of the film really just comes out of left field. Hmm. And I I think you feel like, is he just playing, is he just saying this to 
make Fran feel better as well. But he's pretty convincing in his story. He's, he goes into pretty fine detail about, you know, what he did. Yeah, I don't think he's a liar. We actually do believe him. No, it's, it's definitely not a lie. But the way yeah. he starts it out definitely feels like he's just trying to help her out. Yeah, it was a good uh, analogy, I guess, when he said it took a year until the knee got better, uh, but I got over the girl in three weeks. Yeah, as well as the part where is it the the, the girl keep every, send, yeah the girl sends him the Christmas pudding every year. We, I love that line that comes back later when Fran says she'll do that to Sheldrake. Uh, now we get the stupid brother-in-law's storyline. This is the worst part of the movie for me. This is the definition of like a 1950s greaser kind of guy who's like a big tough guy. The way he looks, he's like, yeah, he's just here to punch someone. Yeah, this is just stupid. He goes to the office and the executives are just like, oh, should we throw Buddy Boy under the bus here? Yeah, these pricks. They're shocking. Yeah, like I said, we got classic goofy Jack Lemon here making the dinner, you know, throwing the meatballs around, singing some Italian songs. And I mean, talk, talk about poor timing. Just when he opens the door for the brother-in-law, he says, I'm going to take advantage of you like I did in bed yesterday. <laughs> like, oh, mate. Uh, yeah, that's great. And, and again, worst timing ever when the doctor comes rushing in, they start talking about the patient and how she took the sleeping pills. And again, Baxter doesn't budge. He's like, oh, is it about you? He's like, oh, of course. Who else would it be about? And gets smacked in the face. Apparently, he genuinely got punched in the face for that exact shot. It was supposed to be, you know, a fake shot, and but the the punch actually pushed him back that far, so they kept that shot in. And they even have a shot of Shirley MacLaine being startled by it because what Billy Wilder was doing was uh, on the side, he actually smacked together two pieces of wood at the at the time when he got punched. So the sound like was so loud that it made Shirley MacLaine like jolt and jump out of her out of her place, out of her skin. Yes, and uh, it was that was fine, but. We get over all this, and we got Baxter. He says he's decided that he's going to take uh, Fran off Shell Drake's hands here. So he's going to go up, and he's like, you know, I've got some great news. I'm going to do this big favor. I'll take her. Like she's some property, mind you. Shell Drake says it back to him word for word. It's so funny. Yeah, and just look on Baxter's face. He's shattered. Yeah, but then, then Shell Drake says he wants to enjoy being a bachelor for a while. <laughs> Yeah, and even when you when he speaks to Fran later on, how she's like, yeah, we, we can't be seen together for a while, so we're just going to wait until after the divorce is settled. She has no idea what he's what he's going to go out and do. She thinks he's just going to wait for her, and that's going to be it. She's she's still so naive, and Sheldrake is just still taking advantage of her, and will always take advantage of her. Yeah, but Baxter gets a huge promotion here to assistant director. Now that's what it says on the plaque. Do you reckon he's the assistant director, or is he the assistant to the director? Certainly looks and sounds like he is the assistant to the director. I mean, his office is like Sheldrake's ensuite. Yeah. It's like the next door, like open the door. And even later on when Sheldrake's like, Baxter, like, come in here, please. Like, yeah, yes, sir. Yeah. But the talk with Fran out in the out in the lobby here, you can see, like, they're all talking about, yeah, we got what we wanted. Everything's great. And, but you can see Obviously, that. Obviously, yeah, yeah. They didn't because what they really wanted was each other. And I love how he, he tries to distance himself when she's like, oh, do you want to walk me to the train? And he's like, no, straight away. No, thank you. And passes it off like, yeah, I'm actually going to date with that woman over there. And then, bang, as soon as that happens, he walks straight past her. Like, he, he just he doesn't want to show any of the feelings that he has to her. Yeah. i got to say, when... Because uh, he knows he can't have her with the situation that it is now, and it doesn't seem like it's going to be changing anytime soon, so he needs to move on. 
Yeah, I was fooled when the boss says he wants the key and Baxter says, nah, no way, I'm done with all this. And then he eventually gives him a key. I was fooled. I thought he broke him then. Yeah, the reveal that it was actually the reveal that it was actually the washroom key was great. Yeah, this is this is the full change in Baxter. This is the the growth, the three dimensional arc. He's gone from, you know, a somewhat corporate suck up and not really, you know, thinking about other people's feelings to realizing that you know he's a human being and he has emotions and feelings and he doesn't want to be doing this. Like he's gonna be he's gonna be stuck in this cycle forever. Like he thought, I'm out of this now. I've got my promotion. I'm good to go, but he just realized this is just going to keep going on and on and on and on and on. Yeah. So good for him for resigning. So we're hitting the end of the film here. It's New Year's Eve. Looks like Baxter is moving out of his apartment. He's, he's done with the place. Says he's, you know, he's peace and he's farewell to the dock. And we have Fran and Sheldrake out for New Year's. Yeah. Uh, she's got some good lines. She repeats the, the way it crumbles cookie-wise that uh, uh, Baxter had said to her. And she says, yep. you know, I'd spell it out for you, only I can't spell. Another good line. Yep. But she's she's had enough. She knows she knows she's made the wrong decision being with him now and she wants out. I like that she just leaves him, you know. Yeah, it just disappears. Like yeah, you don't even see he doesn't even see her leave. He just turns around there's an empty chair. Yeah, we start the new year and he's alone. It's good. Yeah. And you get the classic like the the classic trope here where the woman is running through the street, racing to get her man, and then you Very get that Harry Met Sally. Pretty much. And then you get that gunshot. Yeah. Like, Imagine if the film ended then. <laughs> it's like, wow, that would have been quite a left turn. Would have been epic. They should have done like the Cluedo ending where, you know, half the cinemas just ended there and the other half had the <laughs> champagne. <laughs> Depending on which door you walked in. Yeah. But no, it's it's still the old the golden age of cinema. It's very rare, especially for a you know a roman- basically a rom-com here for it to end like that. So, no, obviously he was just popping his champagne. Good line, like I said, I'll send you, I'll send him a fruitcake for Christmas. And I love how it, the way it ends. You know, tells her, I love you, Miss Kubelik. Three. Queen. Did you hear what I said, Miss Kubelik? I absolutely adore you. Shut up and deal. I, I love the ending. Yeah, it's very sweet. Any last words? All right, I'll do final thoughts this time. First time I watched this film, I really loved it. I thought it was a great romantic comedy that has some very, very good characters that are very well fleshed out. They have a, a very good arc. You you know these people from the get-go. You know exactly who they are. You know exactly what they're going to do. They all talk a little bit different as well. They all, they all have their own characteristics. You remember all these people. The way they all interact as well works really well. The central relationships between Baxter and Fran, Fran and Sheldrake, Sheldrake and Baxter, they all coincide so well. It's like this love triangle that they don't realize is a love triangle. And I think that works really well. The whole setup of this apartment and how it basically sets up all these implosions of these relationships and how much of a a black hole it is for everyone around it, even though for a lot of them, it is a good thing. I think that's a nice little... I guess a nice little set piece where you can relate all the different plots uh, that coincide with each other. Jack Lemmon is, he's so good. I feel like I need to watch more Jack Lemmon films. I think I've seen, I think four Jack Lemmon films, honestly. This, uh, this, Some Like It Hot, I guess, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, and that remake of the 12 Angry Men film. He's so good. He has some very good comedic chops. I think he were in terms of a slapstick humor as well. I think he's really good. And he works well as a leading man in being that, that romantic guy who's just the the down to earth kind of guy. I think Shirley MacLaine was really good too. 
I, I don't really have too much negative to say about this, but there's there's nothing really that's wow, like like absolutely amazing about this film. It is just steady through this film. It's two hours long. It doesn't feel like two hours. I really enjoyed this film. Four stars. Yeah, nice. Uh, I pretty much mirror everything you just said, Endo. Uh, and I'll just add, I really like the tone of this film. I think it does balance comedy with drama and a, a bit of romance, obviously, but it, it does balance the comedic aspects really well without losing the seriousness of what's going on. And I just think Jack Lemon, as you said, in particular, just carries this film. He is the heart of this film, and without him, it would be a lot less of a movie. So, yeah, for me, I'm four stars as well. Fantastic. I was the best because the crowd loved me. All right, Dean, let's head into our rankings. Where are you going to put the apartment? All right, for me, this is going to be real easy. I'm going to have this as my lowest ranked four-star film. I was actually close to giving it three and a half stars, but I did get tipped over to four. So, this is going to fall below A Beautiful Mind, but above The Prestige at my new number 50 out of 77. Okay, so my other Billy Wilder film we've done here, Some Like It Hot, is also at four stars. I think The Apartment is better than Some Like It Hot. I agree. Uh, I'm actually going to shoot it up the list uh, a couple of spots here, and I'm going to put it up against Fargo. And I think that this is better than Fargo. Wow. Seriously? Yep. And I also think it's better than The Wolf of Wall Street and Harakiri and Amadeus. I mean, that's not hard. And it's up against In the Mood for Love. Uh, I can't do it. In the Mood for Love is better than The Apartment. So, The Apartment is my new number 45 out of 77. Very nice. All right, before we continue, we'd just like to say that this show is brought to you by our awesome patrons who've been supporting us for over two years now. I mean, I'm never going to get sick of saying how awesome our patrons are. Am I, Dean? No, definitely not. And gee, when you say it more than two years, that's that's pretty crazy. So, we really do appreciate it. So, on our Patreon, we do have a weekly patron-only podcast we release, including different film series, such as the Harry Potter film series, for example. We also do specific films requested by our patrons, and this week coming up is from our awesome patron, Brother Shane, and he has selected Doubt. Doubt, with uh, the late, great Philip Seymour Hoffman, Meryl Streep. Is there a third name? Amy Adams. Amy Adams. Lots of Oscar talk, I reckon, behind this film. Yeah, I'm looking forward to watching it. Yeah. Brother Shane has mentioned this film several times before, so I wasn't surprised at all when he did select this film for this choice. So if you'd like to support the show, we have several different tier levels with varying rewards and benefits for as little as a dollar a month. Just head over to patreon.com slash themoviejourney. All right, mate, let's get two. We may still have mail. Mail, mail, mail. Here it is. And this could be it. Where we have our awesome patrons sending reviews for the films that we break down. First one here from the man we just mentioned, David Powell. Primo Billy Wilder. Perfect blend of drama with brilliantly astute comedy. Lemon is just so good. Next one here from Chris at the Rough House Podcast. Jack Lemon is delightful, and young Shirley MacLaine was a stunner. Made me want to book a night. Our next one here is from Ben at the Film Busters podcast. Comedy with a real emotional heart to it. There's nothing cynical about its viewpoints, but it's careful not to sugarcoat the truth of things. But maybe that's because Lemon adds enough zing to satisfy your sweet tooth. What a guy. Thanks for those reviews, everyone. But, of course, we always have... You know it's kind of hard to get excited for old black and white movies I haven't seen before. As Seinfeld would put it, I have to get myself into a mental state like the karate guy before he breaks a wood. Fair enough. How fortunate is it that level of preparation is totally unnecessary for this movie? I seriously enjoyed this start to finish without any criticism or complaints. Boom. Wow. (laughs) 
The characters are well written and portrayed. The setting is realistic. I like just observing the 60s workplace. I haven't seen much of Shirley MacLaine, but she was a standout. I had a lot of sympathy for her, as well as Baxter, of course. There are a lot of plot twists I didn't see coming. Actually, they were on the brink of a great and powerful ending, which could have bumped the movie to four stars had they followed through with the tragedy. Ah, he wanted the gunshot. (laughs) Overall, I'm just a bit surprised how engaging the film was. The components of the story are simple, but nevertheless effective. Nice one, fellas. Was this our random choice? (laughs) Yes, it was. It was. (laughs) Thanks, Shane. Yeah, thank you very much, Shane. Uh, did I say? He gives it three and a half stars. Ah, oh, there you go. All right, mate, let's get to... Answer my question! The question, jerk! Where we asked you, what is your favourite black and white Best Picture winner? All right, so we've got our members of our Facebook listener community group and our patrons who've put in their answers, and whoever has the same number one as either of our top fives will go into the draw to win some Movie Journey Sweet Sweet merch. So if you haven't joined up to our Facebook listen discussion group, get involved. There's plenty of other different movie discussions and lists and fun things we do over there. Just uh, check the link in the description and get involved. First one here from awesome patron David Powell on the waterfront. That is a good choice, David. Next up from Sam Hurley. No surprises here. Casablanca. Awesome patron Aliani Silvermist says all about Eve. Lastly here on Facebook from Wojciech Witzman, all about Eve, even though it defeated one of my favourite movies ever, Sunset Boulevard. Ah, also another Billy Wilder film. All right, a couple of our patrons have put in some answers here. Once again, Chris from the Rough House podcast says, I admittedly haven't seen too many, so I'll go with The Apartment. And lastly here from Nerdivert, all quiet on the Western Front. All right, thank you guys for putting in some responses. But Dean, why don't we do our top five Black and white, best picture winners. And as usual, let's start it off with you, mate. What is your number five? Let's go Rebecca. Ah. Let's also go Rebecca for my number five. My number four is a more recent one, The Artist. Okay, The Artist is not on my list because my number four is Casablanca. Ah. My number three, today's film, The Apartment. We're on point here, I reckon. Number three, The Apartment for me. My number two is Casablanca, and I bet I know what your number two is. Why don't you say it then, Dean? Is it, I could have been a contender. It was so close to being a contender, but it's number two (laughs) on the waterfront. And And clearly we know what our number ones are. Yeah, clearly Schindler's List. Yes, don't give me that bullshit. Oh, it's got got the red dress in it, so it's not fully black and white. I don't care, it's black and white, all right? Schindler's List is number one pick. And unfortunately to all of our Facebook listener community group and our patrons did not pick Schindler's List as their choice. So unfortunately, no Movie Journey Sweet Sweet merch will be delivered this week. Oh, unlucky. So, what's next? All right, Dean, it is time to find out our next movie. But we already know what it is, Dean. It's Battlefield Earth. Oh, really? Yeah, it is time. It is time for Battlefield Earth. Ouch. Ouch, indeed. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not liking this. This could be our, our very first 10-minute episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Let's hope. All right. That's going to do it for this week's episode. Thank you very much, everyone, for checking it out. And we will see you next week for Battlefield Earth. Bye. Bye.